Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn them to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10. It's printed in the bulletin, and you can also find it in the Pew Bible on page 896. Over the last uh, two weeks, Pastor Terrence has been doing a wonderful job of leading us through Psalm 23. And he has emphasized how Psalm 23 is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the relationship that exists between God and his people. He emphasized how David, the author of Psalm 23, had personal experience as a shepherd. He knew what it meant to care for sheep and to give his life for sheep. How he would go and chase after them in the midst of dangers. And Pastor Terrence emphasized that David used uh, personal pronouns in Psalm 23. He writes that the Lord is my shepherd. And he uh, told us and pointed out to us in Psalm 23 how the care and provision, the protection and presence of the Lord were all very personal things to David. He knew God cared for him. He saw God's care for him. He knew the promises that God had made and, and he had seen those promises kept over the course of his life. And so David, in an effort to help others understand God's great care, his personal care for his his people, he uses the language of a shepherd caring for sheep. And so in John chapter 10, we will continue our study of this theme of God shepherding his people by looking at the words of Jesus. Now, I do want to begin by making a, a, a quick comment and a bit of an encouragement to you this morning that may be helpful to you as you are a student of the Word and read Scriptures on your own in your own private times of worship and devotion. And that is, uh, usually when we come to read the Scripture, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's certainly true for me, even after years of training, sometimes I can jump into a portion of Scripture, a passage that I have assigned for that day for myself, And it takes me a little bit to understand what's going on. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You start reading. Maybe you've had a rhythm. You've been in it every day. But still, you start the next day and it feels, wait a minute, what's going on? What's happening here? And uh, thankfully, there are a lot of resources that can help us as we study God's Word to know what's going on in some of these passages. Um, I'm so thankful to learn that uh, not too long ago, Pastor Terrence taught a class on how to read the Bible. And, you know, it seems simple enough. You open it up, and if you know English or you know whatever language your Bible is in, you read it and you understand it. But there's so many things that are, are written in these scriptures that we would read right by and not even catch them. And so it's good for us to be equipped. I, I care very much, as Pastor Terrence does, for us to be equipped to read the Word for ourselves and to be nourished and strengthened in our faith uh, by God's Word. Um, but sometimes, as we're reading God's Word, we can approach it one of two ways. Sometimes we can approach it and we read verse by verse, and we, we pay careful attention to the grammar, how words are being used, what words are being used. We try to, to not miss some of those important details, because sometimes we can just fly right through a passage and miss some of those key words. Now, in preaching, oftentimes that's what I like to do. I like to take a passage of Scripture and just spend some time and just walk right through it. Sometimes a verse, sometimes a paragraph or two. But this morning I'm going to be doing something a little bit differently. Another way that we can read the Bible is to read 
larger sections together so that we see the emotion of the passage and the power and the movement of God's Word. Because God has led these authors to write things, and sometimes one account flows right into another, into another, into another, and before you know it, you've gone through four chapters of Scripture. Now, we're not going to cover quite four chapters of Scripture today. Um, I better do this. You know what that means. Nothing. (laughs) So, what we're going to do today is uh, we are going to look at the flow that we have in the Gospel of John. I think it's very easy to read the Gospel of John and get swept up in the narrative and focus on the little things that Jesus says because there is so much in there, so much content. But for the purposes of seeing and understanding the idea of God shepherding His people, I think it would be good for us to move through a large section of Scripture and and go over some details uh, only by highlight and not in uh, great uh, amounts of time being taken this morning. So, we are going to begin reading in John chapter 10, verse 11. But before we do, let me set the stage for us. Up to this chapter, up to this point, John has recorded Jesus' confrontations with various groups of Jewish people. Beginning with chapter 7, Jesus travels into Jerusalem and begins teaching. And John records how the people are really struggling with Jesus. They don't know how to receive him. Is he just a prophet? Is he actually the Messiah? whom he is claiming to be. And through these chapters, you can see how divided they are. John does a very good job of recording their reactions for us. And it's very clear that one of the groups of these people, the Pharisees, are not in support of Jesus' ministry. In fact, they try to dispute Jesus' messianic claims over and over again through chapter 7, and particularly in chapter 8. And then John writes in chapter 9, as the confrontation heightens, that Jesus performs a miracle where he heals a blind man, a man who had been blind since his birth. And many people knew of this man. And despite this amazing work, the Pharisees still seek to find fault with Jesus, accusing him of breaking the Sabbath, accusing the work that he's doing, this miracle of healing, as something that is evil. And so John captures the irony of this interaction very well as Jesus professes himself to be the light of the world, coming to reveal all that was in darkness. He then heals this blind man, and the blind man can see. But those who think they can see, the Pharisees, are blind. According to Jesus, they cannot see what is in front of them. And this is the background for our passage this morning in John chapter 10. As we enter this account, Jesus is still among the Pharisees and Jewish followers in the temple. And once again, he speaks with these proclamations that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, as we cover these portions of chapter 10 and a little bit of chapter 11, there are two main things that we should see, two main points for us this morning. We're going to see, number one, that Jesus says he is the good shepherd. And then in chapter 11, we're going to see that Jesus shows He is the good shepherd. So Jesus says he's the good shepherd, and he shows he's the good shepherd. Let's begin with our first point. Jesus says he is the good shepherd, and we see that 
in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It's good for us to know as we read these words from Jesus that the Bible is filled with figurative references to shepherding as a way of describing the care that God has for His people. In Jeremiah 23, 1-4, we see a passage where Jeremiah speaks words of rebuke to those leading Israel and calls them bad shepherds. He says, this is what you've done to my people. Therefore, I will crush you and I will send good shepherds to care for my people. Likewise, in Ezekiel 34, 12-16, we have another passage where God promises Himself to care for His people as a shepherd. Listen to these words. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture mountains of Israel. I'll feed my flock and lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Listen to this last line. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. These passages sound very much like Psalm 23. They help us see that when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, he's not introducing a new analogy to these people. This is information that would have been familiar, promises that God had made to his people a long time ago. So he's not introducing something new, but rather tapping into something old. And by asserting himself as the good shepherd, he's making a rather powerful claim. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes my mental image of Jesus as the good shepherd has been, a th- has been thrown around a little bit. I don't know that I've had a great picture of what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. And, and maybe it was that word good that's always been in there. In artistic renditions of Jesus as the good shepherd, we often see Jesus crowded with a little group of lambs. Sometimes he's got one in his arm. He looks very cuddly and sweet. And it's almost like we're confusing this word good and making it a, a synonym for kind or nice. But when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he's calling himself the noble shepherd. In other words, he's saying that he is the shepherd of remarkable honor, that he's the shepherd of greatest commitment. He's the high shepherd. In contrast to those who have led Israel astray, like it was mentioned in Jeremiah, 
and those who are only concerned with themselves first, which would include the present company he is addressing in the Pharisees, those who cannot care for God's people as they should, Jesus says, I am the better shepherd, the noble shepherd. And Jesus gives us three supports for this title as he says he is the good shepherd. In verse 11, he says he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. So one reason that he's the good shepherd, one reason he's so noble is he's willing to lay his life down for the sheep. He contrasts his commitment on behalf of the sheep with that of a hired hand. The hired hand is content to tend the sheep, to feed them, to walk around with them. But when a wolf comes, Jesus says the hired hand flees. It's because he doesn't care for the sheep, Jesus says. So there are those who would act like a shepherd, those who would lead sheep, those who want to have a following and want others to listen to them. And they do good for a while, but Jesus says when danger arises and it would cost them their life, they flee. But not Jesus. He's willing to lay his life down. In fact, he intends to lay it down so the sheep will live. That's one reason why he's the good shepherd. The second reason why he's the good shepherd is he says the good shepherd knows his sheep. Jesus speaks here of a knowledge and trust that's had between a shepherd and his sheep. A knowledge and trust that's built up over time. If you've ever had to approach a sheep that doesn't know you, I don't know how many of you have been in that situation, but sheep are generally fearful animals and they're pretty cautious. I'm not talking about petting zoo sheep. They're used to people. I'm talking about the grazing, roaming type. But with a shepherd who cares for them, there's a relationship that has been built. There's trust. They know that that shepherd will lead them to good places. That shepherd cares for them. That shepherd will take care of them. We might come up to a flock of sheep. We might think that's just a group of sheep. But the shepherd also knows each one. You ever notice you're around people that have pets that all look alike and yet The person that owns those pets, they know the different personalities and everything. And so the shepherd's the one who you'd go to them and and he'd say, you know, see over there, that sheep, that's fluffy. That's a great sheep, always listens. That one over there, that's Eunice. Eunice the ewe, she's had a lot of lambs. That one over there, watch out for him, he's Billy the kid. He thinks he's a goat. He's a handful Jesus is saying the good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. There's a bond, a response. There's a willingness to trust and follow him that is special. It's unique. Third reason and support Jesus gives is that he's the good shepherd who gathers and keeps one flock. In verse 16, Jesus says that he has sheep not of this fold. And throughout the gospel of John John has highlighted Jesus' teaching to demonstrate that there are those not of Jewish descent who will be brought in to the flock of God's people. And so that's exactly what he means here, that there are non-Jewish people, Gentiles, that must be brought into God's covenant household. Jesus says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, Jesus is good Because he's not only dedicated to the flock that follows, but also to the ones that are still straying. The ones who are still roaming. He cares as much for them as he does about those that are by his side. And as the good shepherd, he will bring the strays in, making one flock, one people for him to lead and protect. 
Later on in chapter 10, there are some Jews who believe Jesus, but they still have some questions about him. And Jesus once again uses shepherding language after uh, they have a hard time believing what he says about himself. And Jesus says this, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. With these words, Jesus is being very direct. Very direct. The sheep know him. He knows the sheep, and they follow him. But not only does he know his sheep, he will keep them safe. No one and nothing will pull the sheep out of his hand. No one will pull the sheep out of his father's hand. They are one. Jesus is the good shepherd and the noble shepherd because his sheep are forever in his care. Well, this all sounds very good. This is the kind of language we love to hear from Jesus. The language of his promises to care for us. And these words bring us great comfort. I know many people have found great comfort in these words when they go through difficult times. Jesus promises to lay his life down for the sheep, and he certainly did that. This language foreshadows the way that Jesus would willingly go to the cross, dying to protect his sheep, to protect his people from death. And he knew he had to give up his life so that his flock would have life. Secondly, we know that Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He wants them to, uh, he wants us to have a picture of the intimacy, the same kind that was in Psalm 23 that's so encouraging, that conveys understanding and compassion that Jesus, the good shepherd, has for his sheep, as well as the trust and obedience God's people, the flock, display towards him. He shows us that he doesn't just rescue the flock by laying down his life, but he keeps his flock forever. He's not like a a one-time martyr, but he gives himself up and he raises himself. His life was raised again so that he could protect his sheep forever. That no enemy would be able to take us from his hand. This is a message that many of us have had a moment in our lives where we have wanted to hear these words. This is a message that many a human heart has longed to hear, to have the, an assurance of the deep security and care that is described here by Jesus, that God is fully committed to us for our good. We want to believe that, especially when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, as Pastor Terrence spoke well of last week. It's in those moments of dangers and fears and anxieties that surround and overshadow us, that we want this kind of good news. We want this assurance that God has us, that he's protecting us, that he's close to us. I think where we struggle with this is that there are some times, as we walk through the valley, there are some times when those situations and circumstances that bring sorrow and pain and fear and grief, there are some times when those seem to overshadow our vision and we begin to wonder 
Where is our good shepherd? We might think to ourselves, why am I in this place? I don't want to walk through this. I don't want to be dealing with this. My heart cannot take this. You know what situations I'm talking about. Situations like the man that I prayed with when his employer of 25 years let him go just before the end of his career and finances were tight. There seemed to be a light at the end of the tunnel and with one word and a short conversation, that light had vanished. He was in despair. Or the situation like the mother and father I sat with during the night after they learned that their 21-year-old son had tragically passed away. And we just sat together for hours. I'm sure many of us, maybe even right now this morning, are going through something. Situations that feel heavy and hard. And you maybe want to believe that Jesus is your good shepherd, and I hope you do. But you might be struggling with what that really means for you. The circumstances of the valley maybe have you feeling that he has left you alone there. And when we are in these moments, we need a word from the Lord. And that's why I love how the Holy Spirit led John to record this for us as he did. Chapter 10 says, uh, records for us where Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. But John 11, in that uh, beginning verses there, John records how Jesus shows he is indeed the good shepherd. In John 11, we have the very familiar story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And there are so many details we would not have time to focus on this morning, but we will just cover it briefly. Let me summarize it for you. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus, followers of him, believers that he really is a great person, that he may even be the Messiah certainly placed a lot of hopes in him. And Lazarus falls ill, and Jesus is reached by messenger and told, Lazarus is ill, would you come? And Jesus delays his arrival in such a way that Lazarus actually dies and is in the grave for four days before Jesus comes. Jesus' disciples were encouraging him to go to Bethany and care for Lazarus, but Jesus knew that this illness was for a reason, and through it, God's glory would be revealed. Jesus says this very plainly. When he finally arrives, Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days, and this was near Jerusalem, and many of the Jews in Jerusalem had come up to Bethany, about two miles away, to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she rushed out to meet him, and she meets him, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me and lives shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are 
the Christ, that word for Messiah, the Son of God who is coming to the world. When she said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to to weep. But when she came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then this famous passage, verse that we have, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But Some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind? Could he who not had not... Excuse me. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? You can sense the tension in this moment. People had great hopes and beliefs in who Jesus was, and yet in this encounter of a man that was very close to Jesus' heart, this encounter of death, people begin to question is he really the good shepherd? Jesus, of course, follows through with a miracle. Despite all the objections to the stone being rolled away, after speaking to his father, he commands Lazarus to come out, and the dead man comes to life. Sometimes I wonder how Mary and Martha felt when they had to go through this. I wonder, while Lazarus was on his deathbed, if he ever wondered why Jesus had not come to heal him yet. While his health declined, Mary and Martha had begun to give up hope that Jesus would be able to do something. Maybe like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you've been going through something where you feel like your shepherd has left you to walk it alone, where you've thought he should come through and he doesn't seem to come through how you think he should. As I've walked alongside dear brothers and sisters through difficult seasons and reflected on this story, I've seen a beautiful truth that this story actually does show us that Jesus truly is the good shepherd and he's always caring for his sheep. We can see it in the way he cares for Martha. Martha was that type A personality. You remember when Jesus came to the house, she was doing all the hospitality gestures while Mary was just sitting down at Jesus' feet. And so Martha comes to Jesus and she expresses her grief to him and Jesus meets her with exactly what she needs. Doctrine. Truth. She needed to be reminded of the things she knew. And he also focused that truth in himself, proclaiming that he is the answer to those hopes that she's had for so long. And then we see it in the way that he cares for Mary. Mary, who is very much someone living in the moment, sitting at Jesus' feet, even now loses herself and grieves uncontrollably and falls at his feet. And Jesus sees this scene, and what does he say? He doesn't say anything except, show me where he is laid. And he goes to the grave, and he grieves. He enters into the pain and grief of the moment. He's not cold-hearted and immune to it. He's feeling every pain 
of every person in that moment who's feeling the sting of death. And then for Lazarus, the guy who died, his days have ended. Death had overtaken his body for days, and yet Jesus shows he's the good shepherd, knows him by name, calls him by name, and he comes to life. This entire account confounds our senses. It begins with hardship that seems avoidable, but it ends with a miracle that seems impossible. And through it all, Jesus is demonstrating his glory. He is exactly who he claims to be. Jesus is the good shepherd. Even in the midst of the places of deepest grief and pain for us, he claims to be the good shepherd. He cares for each one of his sheep and knows each one. I love this account because it reminds us that so often when we are in the trenches of hardship, when we are facing tragedy and trial, and we are feeling very vulnerable and left alone, and we might think that we have been left in a hard place, and you know the feelings I'm talking about, we might think that our good shepherd has left us, but the problem is not that the good shepherd has left us. He's not like the hired hands. He's not afraid to give his life up for us, to keep us forever. In fact, he died to preserve us so that we might see the valley and lead us to green pastures where there are still waters. See, the problem in temptation we face is we can become so fearful of the valley and the things in it that we wander from his presence or we get so scared of where he's leading us that we doubt he's truly good. And the question that pops in our mind is if he's leading us to die or is he leading us to greener pastures? Sometimes we feel like Jesus leads us right through the things we would never want to face. In our weakness, we can begin to doubt him, but John 11 reminds us he never abandons us. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, for them the truth was confirmed. And These two chapters confirm this for us as well. Many of us are going to be tempted to judge Jesus based on the comfort that we experience in life. That's going to be how we decide whether he's truly good. But scripture confirms for us the truth over and over again. The Lord is really our shepherd. Just as David wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord can be our shepherd. He protects, he provides, and he's present with us even in the darkest of all times. And Jesus came to fulfill this role of shepherd, to be the good shepherd who gave his life so that we might be kept safe. I pray for us that we would know him, that we would hear his voice, that we would trust him even in the midst of a dark valley. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, even now this morning, you speak to us through your word, reminding us that no matter what we are going through, no matter what we've gone through, or what we will face tomorrow, our good shepherd is with us. Lord, give us faith. Increase our confidence in these promises. Forgive us for judging you according to the outlook of our circumstances. Help us to walk in confidence that you are with us your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.